Welcome to Slaking Thirst, a podcast that's all about bringing the thirst deep within our hearts for love and communion to the heart of Christ, a divine heart, who is seeking our love and communion in return. The hope is that the two thirsts would meet and both thirsts would be slaked. Well, I don't usually feel any amount of nerves for preaching, but I don't usually have Jeff Cavins (laughs) sitting in the congregation. Mr. Bible Timeline. Okay, all right. What a beautiful, beautiful uh, couple last two days it's been. And we still got more time. It's still, we're still in the midst of it. I mean, it's just been awesome. Hasn't this been awesome? Like, thank you, Jesus, for this time. It's been so good. It's so good, again, to be brought together as, uh, yeah, just disciples, as like-minded people, to be reminded again, like, okay, yes, I'm not crazy. I'm not the only one. Uh, my staff who think this, thinks this matters. I'm not crazy for thinking that this is like the, the cure for cancer. It's so good to be reminded of this, right? That's why we come back to this place again and again to be reminded. So, all right. So this fifth Sunday of Easter, the church is inviting us again to keep contemplating the mystery of Christ risen from the dead. And this is not just a story, again, of, of just another dying and rising God in the ancient Near Eastern mythology. This is, this is the story of the new Adam coming forth from the virgin tomb like the first Adam came from the virginal earth. This is the bridegroom who comes forth smelling again like nard, the fragrance of the bride. Like this is, this is romance. We are just soaking in romance. That's what the Easter season is. We have 40 days of Lent to prepare our hearts, this long walk up the aisle to meet the, the risen Christ who is the bridegroom. That's what we're spending this time pondering. That's what we're spending this time pondering. Jesus is the bridegroom. And the alleluia that we're singing, the praise the Lord, it's a nuptial cry of the bride's heart. We're singing this nuptial cry because he went to the limits, the absolute limits of God forsakenness to win his bride back. It's like there's just no distance that I will not cross. There's no depth I will not go to bring you back, to win you back from my heart. Like I really am that crazy about you is what he's saying. Like the cross is the proof that his love for you is just mad. It's madness. It's madness to a point that we can't fathom. So on this fifth Sunday, again, like I said, the church is turning the gemstone, inviting us to contemplate another facet of the mystery. And we get to hear from the apocalypse, right? We hear from John's apocalypse, the book of Revelation. And like, how perfect were these scriptures for us tonight? I mean, right? Like TOB people, like... (laughs) I just felt like the Lord just like put us like, a, like this was like batting practice, like T-ball softball. It just was like, come on, Lord, thank you. Right. In some ways also, it's like like a smorgasbord of options. I'm like, I don't even know where to start, though. Like this is this is overwhelming. So let's start with this. The book of John's apocalypse, apocalypsis in the Greek, revelatio in the Latin, the book of revelation. What is revealed in John's uh, revelation? I want to put it this way. This sort of realization that should dawn on us, that has, I'm sure, dawned on us. You, it, you wouldn't be here probably if it hadn't. What is being revealed in the book of Revelation? Oh, this is what Christianity is. Oh, this is what it's about. Like maybe some of you perhaps attending this weekend conference, maybe you're beginning to feel this, uh, you know, sense this for the first time, like, Oh, this is what it's been about, right? I think so many of our Christian brothers and sisters, especially Catholics, they've been living 
the faith like people watching a 3D movie without the 3D glasses. Right? There's, there's parts of it that make sense, parts that you're tracking with, parts that you're like, okay, I follow that, but I don't get that whole big fuzzy part over there. You put these lenses on, you see through the lens of John's revelation, which you see going on here, like, oh, this is what this story is about. This is how deep it goes. This is how close he wants to be. This is where it's all headed. There's a reason why this is the last book in the Bible. It's like, this is where it's headed. What is the book of Revelation about? It's not about the end of the world. It's about the marriage of the Lamb. Where is this all going? It's going to a nuptial union that we can't fathom. Like this union of our humanity with all of his divinity. What does John say? God's dwelling is with the human race. His dwelling is with the human race. It's not like, I, I, just a couple weeks ago, I, was at, uh, I went to the zoo with uh, a family from my parish. They got a bunch of little kids. We went to the African safari part of the zoo. Like you, like you got all these animals dwelling with each other, right? Like there's the zebras and the giraffes and the lions. I don't know how all that works with them living in the same space. I feel like there should just be just lions after a little bit of time. <laughs> but they're all like, there they are, dwelling with each other. Isn't that great? Like, No. That's not exactly what John's saying. It's more like, like when we say this, like that olden phrase, you know, she is with child. That's what, that's what he's getting at when he's saying God's dwelling is with the human race. Yeah, it's that close. It's that close. The book of Revelation is unveiling the end of the story. It's unveiling the bride. Just like in every wedding, who comes down the aisle and who gets unveiled? The bride. What's about to be unveiled as we place it on the altar? The chalice represent like the chalice is the bride. Book of Revelation is showing us the bride. And who is Christ's mystical bride? Who is who personifies the bride? But Mary, right? Mary is the mystical bride. She's the mystical bride. She's the new Eve. You know, it was at uh, Blackrock last, uh, was TLB2, TLB2 when I came, but that was, that was in October. All right. Thank you. It was here. Last October for TOB2, I was the chaplain. I was downstairs in the Adoration Chapel where I had this, this moment. I was, the monstrance was there, and behind the monstrance is this huge image of Our Lady of Guadalupe. And I just had this, this sort of dawning realization hit me, looking at Mary, looking at our Blessed Mother, realizing, like, oh, she's, she's not the exception to the rule. Like, she's not the, she's not the outlier, She's not the exception to the rule. She is what humanity, like she is the norm. She is what humanity, unadulterated, untwisted, was always meant to be. We are the aberration. (laughs) We're the falling off of the norm. We're the deviation from the goal. She's the immaculate one. We're the ones who have to get immaculatized. I just made that word up. (laughs) You can do that when you're a theologian, right? You can say those sorts of things. She, we're the ones who have to get immaculatized. Remember Ephesians 5 where we hear like, that the bride, she might be without spot or wrinkle, macula in the Latin. She might be without immacula, without blemish. Right? Mary is the immaculate one. We have, we've got all of our maculas that Jesus, through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the grace of the sacraments, we are becoming immaculatized. We're becoming like our mom. She is who is being described. She is the one who's being described by John in this apocalyptic, uh, this apocalyptic vision. She is the coming together of heaven and earth. She's the new heaven. She's the new earth. Right? When the first paradise was lost, God began to dream of a new flesh paradise. 
He dreamt of Mary. He was dreaming of his mom. She's the new Jerusalem, the holy dwelling of God. She is the bride of the Song of Songs. That's who she is. And that is who we are meant to be. Where we don't just simply look at her and go, oh, must be nice to be you. Like, no. We look at her, we call her our life, our sweetness, and our... If she's not who we're meant to be, why would she be our hope? We look at her to see like, oh, that's what I'm going to be. That's what I'm called to be. If we let him have his way, if we allow the gospel to touch every fiber of our humanity, if we're vulnerable to him, if we let him in, that's what's going to happen. She's, she's the first one to let the spark in. Right? We hear in the book of Revelation that she's clothed in the sun. Like the fire that blazed in the heart of the Holy Trinity throws a spark into her womb and she catches fire. She's the burning bush of the New Testament on fire but not consumed. We are fire eaters. We are fire people as Christians. We consume and carry fire. So what's going to happen in this mass? A coal from the very heart of God is going to be placed upon your tongue. Isaiah about died when that happened to him. That was just a coal from the altar of incense. The living God is placed upon your tongue. How we all don't perish, I'm not sure. Be a cool way to go, though. I mean, right? Right? <laughs> just ask Blessed Imelda, right? Like, this is what's on offer. That's where our humanity is headed. But man, oh man, how many of our brothers and sisters, the faithful who go to Mass, I'm not talking about the ones who don't even go to Mass. I'm talking about the ones who actually go to Mass. How many of our faithful, even my brother priests, the bishops, who don't see this, as Jesus said, they look but they do not see the mystery that's revealed. That's a tragedy. We're still waiting for that time bomb to go off. It's ticking, though. It's ticking, and there's parts where it's like, it's going off, though. Because here's the thing. There is no other gospel. This is the only, this is the gospel. There is no other gospel. Why? Because there's no other Christ. There's only one Christ, and he's the bridegroom. It's not as though there's like, I don't know why this has been the phrase that's been in my mind the past couple months. Like, there's not like the bridegroom Christ and like, homecoming king christ or like prom king christ or like really cool guy christ like the only christ there is is the bridegroom christ like the one who's interested in your heart the one who doesn't just simply tolerate you the only christ that there is is the one who just wants to inch closer and closer deeper and deeper like the only one who governs how deep he goes into our earth, into our earth. The only one who can put the brake on that is us. We're the only ones who can slow it down, who throw up the speed bumps, who throw up the walls. The only Christ there is, is the one who wants to wed himself to us. He has no other goal except the complete and total intimacy and transformation unto glory of our humanity. Like, it's not as though in heaven that there are like, saints who just simply work for god and in heaven there's saints who like do battle and then there's saints who are intimate with the trinity no there's only the bridegroom and the bride that's what's revealed 
by revelation. There's only the bridegroom and the bride. There's only one gospel because there's only one Christ. There's only one Christianity. Okay, so if this is where this is all headed, this is all where this is all meant to head. If this is what Christianity is, then we have to think, like this has to shape, this has to alter the way that I think and approach my walk with the Lord now. And maybe some of you have been feeling this these past couple days, yesterday into today. Like, oh, I, I, there's no going back. I, I have to approach him differently. I don't just simply work for him. I'm not just simply an employee of the Lord. He's interested in my heart. So I want to touch on three areas of how this is meant to alter and shape our lives as disciples. The first being prayer, the second being confession, the third mass, Eucharist. Like we have to see these things differently. So first prayer. When you think about prayer when you were growing up as a little, you know, uh, disciple as a little kid, as a little Christian. Like, what was prayer for most of us probably growing up? We probably were learning our memorized prayers, right? We begin with the sign of the cross, the Our Father, Hail Mary, the guardian angel prayer. We were learning the memorized prayers. But for a lot of folks, that's kind of where it stops. Like, prayer is just simply the memorized words that I say at the Lord. Devotion, right? Nothing, okay, and again, nothing wrong with that intrinsically. Nothing wrong with that. But we memorize words for the sake of conversation, right? That's why we memorize words, for the sake of conversation. Like prayer, if I can put it this way, is the relational dance of vulnerability with the Lord, letting yourself be known ever more deeply, sharing your heart. Like that's how intimacy is facilitated, letting yourself be known, this sort of unfiltered sharing. We put so many spiritual Instagram filters on our hearts saying, no, I, I, I got to share it in this light. I, I can't let them see it like this. I got to put it in this different kind of Photoshop version. He just doesn't care about that. Like, he's just saying, just tell me about it. Tell me about it. Like, what's actually in there? He's only interested in your real heart. Not like your heart as you want it to be, but your real heart as it is. That's what he's interested in. But if prayer is this kind of like spousal relational dance, those of you who are married, I'm sure when you think about your relationship with your spouse, there is a kind of sharing that is, that is very deep at times, and there's sharing that's not as deep. It's just kind of sharing the day-to-day stuff. And that's okay, too, for prayer. We don't have to, I don't want you to feel the pressure that, man, every time I sit in a holy hour, I've got to be drawn into, like, the, the seventh mansion of Teresa of Avila. If I'm not <laughs> levitating, I'm probably doing this wrong, right? Like, no. Like, maybe sometimes... But more often than not, it's just, Lord, here's my heart. Here's, just my, here's my interiority. I just want you to see it. I want you to know about it. I just want you to know about it. It's a commitment to letting yourself be known. All right, second, confession. It's a torture chamber of shame. All right, third. I'm just kidding. No. Hear me, hear me correctly. Confession is the bride and I'm speaking as like a priest, as the one who, who has the privilege of sitting on the other side of that screen. Confession is the bride getting spiritually naked before the bridegroom. Why? So as to experience the recreating power of his gaze, which is just love and mercy. It's to see yourself being seen. 
That's what confession is. It's to see yourself being seen and to discover the wonder of my lovability. As Jen was sharing in her beautiful testimony, to see yourself being seen in the unloveliest of places and to discover through the eyes of Jesus who borrows the eyes of fallen men like me, that you're still lovable. Like it's the bride responding to the bridegroom's voice in the Song of Songs who says, my dove in the clefts of the rock, in the hiding places on the mountainside, show me your face. So the bridegroom says, show me your face. Let me hear your voice. For your voice is sweet and your face is lovely. That's what confession is. If prayer is letting yourself be known and if confession is letting yourself be seen, then this means that confession is the preliminary before nuptial love. Right? Let's just recall for a moment I don't think we've done a really good job in the church of actually explicating what, we, uh, what we've taught from the Second Vatican Council. That the pop quiz, true or false? Here we go. Ready? Confession is the source and summit of the Christian life. True or false? False. Then why do we act like it is? What is the source and summit? The Eucharist. Confession is not the source and summit. The good news of the gospel is not, hey, your sins can be forgiven. Don't get me wrong. That is incredible news. Thank you, Jesus, that my sins can be forgiven. But that's not the good news of the gospel. The the shocking news of the gospel is that not only does he want to forgive my sins, he wants to unite his nature to my nature. He wants union with me. Me! Like, bald, superly good-looking me. (laughs) He wants union with me. He wants union with you. Like, the source and summit of the faith is not the confessional. It's the Eucharist. The confessional is preparatory for the altar. We go to confession, not so that we can feel like morally good. Like, okay, now I'm, I'm not in the state of mortal sin anymore. Now I can go to confession. Okay, fine. Maybe that's true. But on the deeper mystical level, you go to confession to get naked before the bridegroom because he wants to now embrace you in the one flesh union of the Eucharist. It's a different way to think about it. And now look, I'm a celibate, but I'm pretty sure that nakedness is a prerequisite before nuptial union. <laughs> At least I think it helps. <laughs> Some of you are like, what? oh. <laughs> look, Jesus is waiting for us like every groom has waited at every wedding, at the foot of the altar, waiting for his bride to walk down the aisle, and he has nothing but love in his eyes for you. Nothing but love in his eyes. He's pouring himself out, and he's looking for the womb of your heart to put his life. That's what he wants more than anything. I want to put my life into the fertile soil of your heart The womb is the physical icon of the heart, a place in me that exists for another person. And here's the thing about our hearts, that what makes them fertile is not your virtue. 
What makes your heart fertile is not your virtue. It's not all the rosaries you've prayed. It's not all the sacrifices you made. What makes your heart fertile is your pain, your poverty, your suffering, your shame, your brokenness. It's all the crap that you want to keep hidden. He's saying, open that to me, my sister, my bride. Roll away this stone. I don't care about the stench. I want to put life there. I want to put life there. I want to put life there. We hear Jesus say, Behold, I make all things new. He wants to make you new in this Mass. Because this might be, we never know, this might be the last Mass we ever celebrate. We don't want to take Him for granted, we don't want to take the gift for granted. Imagine if this was. Imagine if the Lord whispered, this is the last time. Like, how different would this be? If, like, right now. Oh, Jesus, I open to you all of it. Put your life into all of it. Transform all of it. I hold nothing back. Let's just take a second in the silence and prepare our hearts to receive him. Friends, this is the gospel. This is our Jesus. There's only one, and he's a bridegroom.